Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. It is Nurse Mo. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am so glad that you're here. This is awesome. We are on episode 64, and today we'll be talking about atelectasis, which is just as fun to say as you think it is. So atelectasis is a condition that you will be learning a lot about and dealing with a lot, especially as you're starting those med surge clinicals and you're taking care of a lot of surgical patients. So if you do a Google search for atelectasis, you're going to find out that it's a huge topic, way bigger than what you might have first thought. Um, And it can get really confusing really quickly. So if you want to just break it down to this most simple component, atelectasis essentially just refers to a condition where the alveoli and even whole lobes of the lung, so a whole bunch of alveoli, are collapsed. Um, You'll likely be writing an atelectasis care plan or including it in a care plan at some point. So it's really good to know um, how it affects your patients and how you, the awesome nursing student or nurse, can prevent it. So we're going to talk a little bit about the different types of atelectasis And then we'll talk about how we apply this in the clinical setting. So to start, we have something called obstructive atelectasis. So this one's really easy to remember because it's basically caused by an obstruction. So this refers to the patient having a foreign body in their lung, like an apricot seed, which I honestly have seen happen, or an obstructing tumor, or even having a big old mucus plug. And that's common in patients who have cystic fibrosis fibrosis. They don't clear that mucus. Um, When a patient has something like this, we don't go, I don't go to the doc and say, hey, I think Bob down in room 18 has obstructive atelectasis. I say, I think Bob could be having another mucus plug. So in the clinical setting, we tend to refer to things more by what's actually causing the problem. But just so you know, obstructive atelectasis is all of these things. Okay. And then we have something called post- operative atelectasis. And this is the one that you are going to likely see the most. So it's pretty common post-op. It's a complication that occurs in a lot of patients, especially in the first few days after surgery when they feel like garbage and they're not breathing as well or as deeply as they should. So this occurs 
It starts occurring like the problem gets set up when the patient has general anesthesia because that general anesthesia is going to change how the patient breathes. It's going to change their breathing pattern. And this leads to impaired gas exchange. So you have those little tiny alveoli and now they've deflated. And when they're deflated, are they participating in gas exchange? No. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle. So this is also going to occur simply when patients are post-surgical or just really sick or don't feel well, and they're not taking deep breaths after surgery. This is often due to pain secondary to their surgery or just immobility lying around in bed. You don't take deep breaths when you're lying around in bed because your body doesn't need extra oxygen. So when you're talking about your atelectasis care plan, this is probably the type that you're going to be dealing with the most, okay? And then we have something called non-obstructive atelectasis. So within this group, there's um, lots of different subtypes. You might see typically in your med surge clinicals, uh, non obstructive atelectasis due to something like a pneumothorax, other tumors, different types of tumors than those obstructing ones we talked about earlier, pleural effusions, and surfactant deficiency. So there's a lot of different types of atelectasis, but again, in nursing school, you'll often be taking care of patients, um, well, you'll be talking about taking care of patients who just have that collapsed alveoli as a result of them, you know, not taking those deep breaths. So did they have surgery, that can affect your ability or desire to take a deep breath because it hurts. Maybe they cracked a rib and that's extremely painful to take those deep breaths. Or maybe they're just generalized in pain all over. Um, what if they're, if they're not taking those deep breaths, those alveoli at the bases don't get airflow. So they collapse. So I hope you're seeing now kind of how it all revolves around effective respiration. So why do we care so much about a few collapsed alveoli? So doesn't the lung have a ton of these? Well, yes, it does. But when atelectasis occurs, it's typically not just going to be a few alveoli. It's typically going to be whole lobes of the lung, even whole areas of the lung. So you remember from your anatomy and physiology class, I hope, it's that that alveolar membrane is where that gas exchange occurs. It's where the O2 enters and the CO2 leaves. So if that alveolar membrane is collapsed or it's compromised in some way, you're going to have issues with gas exchange. And that is why we care so much about atelectasis. So even though it's super common, you'll see it a lot, does not mean that it's, you know, no big deal. Um, I've seen patients with oxygen saturation levels in the 70s and 80s from just simple post-op atelectasis. So the good news is it's really treatable and for the most part, easy to treat if it's not due to something like, you know, a pleural effusion or pneumothorax. We're talking about just like that post-surgical, patient's not taking deep breaths, their alveoli have collapsed. What are we going to do about this patient? So first let's talk about who's at risk. So we really know which patients were going to have a high index of suspicion for developing or having atelectasis. So we have surgical patients, especially surgical patients who had procedures involving their chest or their abdomen. Think super big, painful to take a deep breath. Patients with dysphagia, swallowing difficulties. This could be your patient with weakened um muscles there or who has um, 
a stroke history, has dysphagia, high, high risk for aspiration. Also, patients receiving narcotic medications, which lead to respiratory depression and shallow breathing. We also have any patient with a lung disorder, okay? Any patient with COPD or asthma where the respiratory pattern may be compromised. So we want to be high index of suspicion with those patients. And then we have cystic fibrosis patients. So a lot of times you'll see cystic fibrosis patients in your pediatric clinical. And as you learn about these patients, you'll learn that they have the the cilia in the lungs is impaired. It doesn't move mucus out effectively. So they're high risk for developing those mucus plugs. Patients who are in pain are at high risk, especially if that pain involves the chest wall. So rib fractures, famous for this. Abdominal pain, famous for this. Patients don't want to cough and take deep breaths when their chest wall is in pain. Patients with sleep apnea, also you want to be suspicious that they could be developing atelectasis. Also, any patient with deconditioned, very weak respiratory muscles, this might be the guy that was on a ventilator for two weeks and is deconditioned and his his muscles of respiration have weakened. He needs to build up his strength. Or maybe you have that patient who has a neuromuscular condition like myasthenia gravis or a spinal cord injury. Also, patients who smoke. I think by now we've learned that patients who smoke are at risk for just about everything. Um, Older patients and patients who have decreased mobility. So this often occurs with post-surgical patients or those who are in weakened conditions like uh, patients who had sepsis and were in the ICU for a while. You guys would be shocked at how quickly patients lose muscular tone. So if someone's been on uh, bedridden or on bed rest for a few days, they're going to be so weak. So you want to be highly suspicious that they could be at risk for developing atelectasis. So basically, when you look at this as a whole, it's you think, wow, that sounds like almost everyone in the hospital. And it certainly does seem that way sometimes. So let's talk quickly about the signs of atelectasis and how we're going to assess for it at the bedside. So some patients with atelectasis could have no symptoms, but when they do show symptoms, just know that you could have mild symptoms and you could have symptoms that are severe. So some of the symptoms a patient could report is feeling short of breath. So anytime a patient tells you they're feeling short of breath, you want to take that seriously and dive deeper into that assessment. The patient could have a wheeze, could be coughing. The respiratory rate could be elevated. They could be tachypnic because they're trying to compensate for the low SpO2, their low oxygen saturation level. Their breaths are typically shallow. So when you're uh assessing the quality and the depth of their respirations. They're typically shallow. And then if you listen to their lungs, you could hear um, diminished breath sounds in that affected area. Most often, this is the bases, and you can really hear the bases most effectively on the posterior. So have the patient sit up and get your stethoscope behind uh, on the backside there. And then when the patient takes a deep breath, and you're listening to their lungs at the bases as they take that really deep breath. Sometimes, a lot of times, they can open those alveoli back up. And when this happens, it sounds like very faint Rice Krispies popping open. So um, if you had Rice Krispies as a kid, as much as I did, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So when you do that, 
you're assessing your patient with atelectasis, you hear diminished sounds in the bases, and then you say, okay, Bob, I want you to take a really deep breath, and Bob takes that really deep breath, and you hear that pop, 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 pop as those alveoli open. Look at his O2 saturation level before you did that and after you did that and see if it starts to come up. And then as you listen to those bases again, you're going to hopefully hear more air movement. So your instructors are going to tell you, here's another symptom that's kind of controversial, that atelectasis causes a low-grade fever. So if that's what they've told you and that's what's on exams, then go with what they've told you, okay? But for your own knowledge, just know that there have been studies done on this. I've referenced two of them. So when this is live as a blog post, I'll link to them if you're the type of person that likes to go back and get the data. So a study done in 1988 basically concluded that the presence or absence of a fever cannot signify if a patient does or does not have atelectasis. They really didn't see any correlation. And then in 2011, there was another study done that essentially came to the same conclusions. So if your professor says low-grade fever is one of the components, go with what they say because they're the ones writing your exams and grading your care plans. But just so you know... the the evidence does not support that. So what are the complications of atelectasis? So even though it's super common, you'll see it a lot, talk about it a lot, it really can have very serious complications if it's not left, if it's left untreated, if we don't do something about it. So the main one is hypoxia. So if you've got a good portion of the alveoli that are just kicking back, not doing their job, not participating in gas exchange, we're going to be at high risk for hypoxia. And then another complication is pneumonia. So you've got those alveoli, they're collapsed, they're just sitting there, mucus and other gunk in the lungs is just sitting there and not getting cleared out because the patient isn't uh, coughing, deep breathing, those alveoli aren't open. So this puts the patient at high risk for infection, namely pneumonia. So this will definitely be in your care plan, patient at risk for infection. And of course, in any situation, if it gets bad enough, you can end up in respiratory failure. So again, even though it's super common, it can be super serious as well. So how do we treat and prevent atelectasis? I know you're just dying to know, right? So when we're talking about that post-op atelectasis or that atelectasis from someone who's just laying around in bed, not taking deep breaths for whatever reason, um, then the remedy is usually pretty simple. So first, we want to have our patients do coughing and deep breathing. So let's say you assess Bob, our patient, and you notice he's taking these shallow breaths. Um, His O2 sat may be low, may be fine, but you really want to have Bob cough and take some deep breath. So if Bob says, oh my God, it hurts, I can't do it, then you need to explore pain management options with him. So this could be medication, it could be heat, it could be ice, it could be positioning. I don't want you guys to always think that pain management is grab the narcotics. There's so much more that you can do as the nurse that doesn't involve anything on the medication administration record. You would be surprised sometimes what an ice pack and pillow supports can do for a patient. So explore options. Ask him what do you think would help and then try to get the pain to a point where Bob can take those deep breaths and cough to clear his lungs. You also want to help the patient to ambulate if they can. Getting patients up and moving around is 
in my opinion, probably the number one best thing you can do as a nurse. It's going to increase their respiratory drive and help keep those lungs inflated. Plus, it does a whole bunch of good for decreasing incidences of confusion and acute delirium, which we will talk about at length another time. And then we have something called the incentive spirometer. So if you've never seen one of these, it's this little device. It's this little plastic contraption that has like a tube on it, and the patient puts this uh, mouthpiece in their mouth and takes a deep breath in. So as they take the deep breath in, it's kind of difficult. So it exercises the lungs and really gets them to take a full deep breath in. And then it has a gauge that shows them how uh, deep a breath they took. So there's incentive, right? Um, the incentive spirometer is basically a go-to device used a ton in post-surgical patients, and you'll be teaching a ton of patients how to use this. And I guarantee you the two ways the patients will do it incorrectly is they will blow into it because it just seems like the natural thing to do. And then the other way they will do it really wrong is they will just repeatedly breathe in over and over and over and basically hyperventilate. So you want to teach them to do it, uh, you know, like one breath at a time, pause in between so that they're not hyperventilating and to breathe in with it, not blow out. So let's say we're doing an atelectasis care plan. Um, so you're going to be talking about the, uh, Assessment findings that you see, such as impaired gas exchange, secondary to shallow uh, respiratory depth as evidenced by an O2 saturation of 88% on room air. That could be a nursing diagnosis that would be part of an atelectasis care plan. Your interventions could be things like teach the patient how to use the incentive spirometer, uh, provide pain medication or pain interventions as needed to support deep breathing ambulate three times a day or whatever. Encourage patient to cough and deep breathe every hour while they're awake. You'll assess their O2 saturation. You'll assess their lung sounds. And your objective with this could be something like by the end of my shift or by 5 p.m., the O2 saturation will be 95% on room air or whatever. Something like that. Um, you also could have a nursing diagnosis about their risk for infection. So this could be risk for infection secondary to decreased respiratory depth and immobility. So your interventions could be, again, teaching the patient how to use that incentive spirometer, using pain interventions to support deep breathing, ambulating, get them up and walking, doing that cough deep breathe every hour while they're awake. If you're looking at infection risk, you're going to monitor their temperature, follow their white blood cell count. If they're getting chest x-rays, monitor those, listen to their lungs, look at how they're breathing. All of those things and an objective for this patient could be something like by post-op day three, patient will have a clear lung x-ray showing no development of pneumonia, something like that. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I mention nursing diagnoses, don't worry about it. You'll get there. Um, just know that um, care plans will include these and then you will also have to have interventions that you will be tailoring to that patient and then a way to measure if you met your goal. So I hope this helps you uh, with your atelectasis care planning or with just your general knowledge of taking care of these patients in the hospital and answer a few test questions when those questions come up. So if you've got another topic you guys want me to talk about, I am 
always happy to add it to the list. So shoot me an email and let me know. And then this podcast is going live on August 23rd, which is the last day of enrollment for my Crucial Concepts boot camp for this round. It will be open again for the uh, spring semester. But for those of us going back to school this fall, I'm going back into my grad program. Um, and for those of you who are starting your nursing school programs, this Crucial Concepts boot camp is for you guys. So I have tons of information on it at my website, straightanursingstudent.com. So hopefully you're listening listening to this episode the day it goes live so that you uh, don't miss your opportunity. The cart will close at midnight tonight, August 23rd, which is a Friday. Um, and if you missed the enrollment, no bigs. I will catch you next time. Go to my website. There's so much information there, you guys. Um, and Use it. Use the search bar. I guarantee you if you search for something, most of the time you can find something about that topic. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing your very precious free time with me today. And I will see you back again next week. Let's see what we're talking about. We'll be talking about acid-base balance, which is a very exciting topic and great review or an introduction to the topic for those of you going into your advanced med surge. So look forward to that and I will see you guys soon. This podcast is brought to you by straightanursingstudent.com. Copyright Mo Media. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.